the honor foundation for me gave me a way to kind of step back and reevaluate who am I as a person. And I was fortunate enough, like early in my career that at a couple of master chiefs are like, you know, you need to figure out who you are early on as time, as your life goes on, your career goes on. And he's a, a, a major downfall for guys is the first thing they always say that like, who they are is their job. He's like, take your job out of it. Who are you? And then try to always answer that question. And I never really thought about it too much. And as life was going on, I'd always see people like, who are you? The job, the job. They're like, no, like, who are you as a person? So I always had that in the back of my mind, but coming through THF, that actually really helped reevaluate that and take that step back. Like purely everything, just who are you as a person? And I, and I had to go back to like me being like in like elementary school, then middle school, then high school. Like what were the things that made me happy that I, that I enjoyed doing? And it was taking those steps back to kind of help reevaluate for me, like where I wanted to go. And it was never necessarily like a job wise. It's just the things that made me happy. Um, it was like, you know, I don't want to be in an office. I always wanted like a, a people facing job. I wanted to be sort of physical, um, creative, you know, it was like things like that. And that's kind of how I identified the certain checks and marks that for a job was what I wanted to do. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder and military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also going to have guests who are going to talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. I'm joined this week by Mike Brown. Mike knew from a young age that he was going to join the military. So after high school, he enlisted in the Navy. Mike went on to serve 14 years in special operations and intelligence. But in 2018, he realized he'd accomplished all he'd wanted to do in the military, and he chose to discharge. Mike had no set plans for his future. He just knew he wanted out. He went back to college, but again, not with a set goal. Then a chance opportunity allowed him to get in the world of video photography. And through this, he remembered that he enjoyed making movies as a kid, but realized this creative side of him had been suppressed while he was in the military. Mike has since gone on to start Scopos Media, where he creates and develops short films, music videos, and business promotional content. But through this work behind the camera, he got the opportunity to become a stuntman in Hollywood. And he's since worked on films including Black Panther 2, as well as in television. I enjoy talking with Mike, and he provides good advice for those wanting to get into the video production world, as well as stunt work. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please enjoy episode 59. Still powerlifting? Uh, uh, not really. Um, kind of just d- been doing a lot more uh, body weight stuff. Um, more working like like power endurance, stuff like that. The powerlifting was just too taxing on my body. And I was only doing because of COVID. I had nothing else to do. And the only gym I can get to was a powerlifting gym. So I just was doing it with that. But now it's more like back, like functional, quickness, agility, a lot of movement, be able to control my body to do certain things with all the stunt stuff that I'm doing now. So not, not a li- or lifelong powerlifter. No, I was like, it was like a year and a half that I just did it before that I did Olympic lifting. Um, that was just fun to do for a couple of years. Just kind of change it up, did a couple of competitions just to 
fight that itch. And then, yeah, but it wasn't like anything I'm like, I've never been big into always lifting super heavy or anything like that. So, so tell me about where you grew up. Uh, Los Angeles, California, born and raised. So my little bit of a backstory is um, I was actually put up for adoption right at birth. So I lived in a foster home like half my childhood and then I uh, was adopted. And then by my parents who I identify as my mom, my dad, uh, they're both immigrants and they adopted me and gave me a great second I guess, chapter to my childhood. Where are they from? Uh, dad's from Jamaica, mom's from Canada. First generation here in the country for them? Uh, yeah. So I was like telling ten, ten, um, the first son they had that was, was born here in the States. So, cause my older brother, he was born in Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. And other than your older brother? Oh, younger brother as well. Younger brother. Yep. And when you say LA, uh, for those who aren't familiar with Southern California, LA is a sprawl. Were yeah. you in downtown? L- South Central. So okay. in Watts, California, which is like next to Compton and all that. And then out, uh, when I was adopted, it was out to like Pasadena, West Covina, uh, La Puente area. It's kind okay. of popped around. So. The eastern end of the San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. And growing up, what was, you know, what was your enjoyment? Were you into sports? Were you a, a school kid? Yeah. Uh, my, my, my adopted parents put me in a lot of sports. So I played like everything from running, uh, soccer, swam for a little bit, uh, basketball, track, uh, never really did football. My parents didn't want me getting any head injuries early <laughs> on, so I'm glad they did that. So, but I grew up mainly just doing sports. Uh, my dad was super athletic as well, so he was always he's always been playing soccer. He did running. He did baseball. He did cricket as well. So, and coming out of high school, what were you thinking was going to be your path for adulthood? Uh, I already knew I was going to be in the military. Kind of growing up, I actually looking for, into being a police officer. Uh, and then as time went on, I started looking more into military, special operations side of things. And uh, and then I kind of made a decision, probably like sophomore year, that I was going to join the military. I already knew going into it. That's what I was going to do. Did you did you have military in your background? I know you said your dad came from Jamaica, but did you have anybody else in your family that was kind of a mentor or anything for no, you? No, not at all. Um, my mom's father served in World War II. Um, but other than that, I never met him. He, he passed away long before I was adopted, so had no mentoring toward being in the military or any, any side of that. My parents were awesome. They were supportive. Like, that's what I want to do. They're like, just put your best foot forward and give it your all, whatever it is that you choose to do. And so I was leaning toward a special operations side of it. And I uh, didn't know quite what I was going to do at that point. Didn't know a branch. It wasn't until um, I actually saw, it was funny, like the, the Buds documentary, 234. <laughs> that was very intrigued by that. And it's like, it's actually. I'm sure nobody else has seen that document. What's ironic is that, so I grew up going to church every Sunday and all that. And my dad actually let me stay back from going to church to finish watching that documentary because he knew how hooked <laughs> I got on it. So that was pretty, that was pretty, one of those moments in my life that I always remember. Because he's like, well, why should you want, you want to learn more about it? So I was like, all right. I sit there and watch it all morning. <laughs> so. so you kind of made the decision in your sophomore year that military was the route you were going to go. Yep. Navy was, you were, by that point you had selected the Navy? Uh, or? Not so much. I was still kind of figuring that out, which where I, uh, the route I wanted to go. Um, I don't, I'm not sure a time place I made a decision, but my brother did join the Navy before I did. He was random. We did not expect him to go do that. We became a corpsman. He did two tours in Iraq when it was like, popping off and all that. So, but I think kind of talking with him more about it, that, uh, it was kind of, I think kind of like the, the final decision 
uh, join the Navy. So it did more to encourage you to go in as opposed to maybe him kind of going, nah, you may want to rethink this. Uh, no, nah, he never thought, he never told him like that. He loved what he was doing, loved the guys he was serving with and all that. So it was never like, don't do it. Cause he knew that like, I always wanted to do it anyway. So he's like, he's like, Navy's not bad. He's like, just make sure you don't go on a ship or something like that. <laughs> So, so did you do the delayed enlistment or did you wait till your graduation and then just go enlist? I joined probably like six months before graduating high school. Um, I didn't really do much prior to that, like preparing to join. I just signed up and then it was time to ship off. I shipped off too much after graduating high school. Did you initially enlist with a SEAL contract? No, no, no. Um, so at the time there was, this is like 2004, there is uh, nothing like that. Uh, you had to go to boot camp and then in boot camp, you could be like, Hey, do you want to go special operations and all that? I said, yes. Turns out, found out that my contract had other ideas. So <laughs> I was on this thing called GTEP that you had to go to the fleet first. I had no idea about it. No one told me that's what I was on. So I'm here like, okay, cool. I'm going to go in, uh, get a, a SIL source rating and then you can try out the screen and all that while you're in boot camp, and they're like, "Yeah, you can you can screen, but you're not gonna be able to go another couple of years because you're on this program." So that was kind of a bummer. Uh, so do that, and I they put me in deck department, which is a horrible job, but I'm glad I did it. There's a lot of <laughs> I'm glad I did that as my first year in. That's the only thing I did for one year on a ship was that, and I was like, "Okay," so I did that, and then crossed over. So. Going back on it, would you say that, well, when you went in, were you thinking you were going to do a career or were you thinking just one enlistment and then kind of reevaluate it? Yeah, I knew that I wasn't going to do a career. Um, I didn't know how much longer. So originally I was like, well, I want to do, do this. I want to work in intelligence. And I was like, I want to work for the CIA or something. That was kind of like my path. I never thought anything otherwise. That was just kind of the path I wanted. I was setting down towards. So I knew that about 10 years that that's where I'll be calling it quits. So. so going in, even though you were leaning towards special forces, your ultimate interest was in intelligence. Yeah. You had that. Where did that come from? Cause I mean, that kind of seems like a, a topic that my most 18 year olds might not know about. Yeah. I think I was just always intrigued by watching movies and, and seeing stuff like that, like watching like CIA and Intel guys of what they were doing, like, you know, always behind the shadows. And that always intrigued me. Uh, and I was like, what's the best route to go? And I was like, well, probably the military, uh, then get my degree and I was in and then kind of navigate from there. Ultimately made your way into intelligence. Yep. Ultimately spent 14 years, 14 years active duty. And I still did some time in reserves as well. Yeah. And what, f what caused were when you were in those 14 years, was it always, um, how do I want to put this? Were you already thinking about getting out or did you kind of go as you went like, oh, okay, I'll extend a little bit longer? I kind of, it was kind of, it was kind of, yeah, it was more like enlistment wise to see what I was going to. So I went, did the GTEP thing, went into deck and then my, I was guaranteed for some reason to be an operations specialist. And I always like, well, I'm just going to take the job because I was like, I just want to go to Bud's to be a SEAL. So I didn't really care. Um, Ended up going to Bud's, got hurt in training. Actually, before training, then it uh, came up, came back up again in training and all that. I was almost medically separated from the military because of it. Uh, ended up being able to stay in. What kind of injury? I had nerve damage. Oh, wow. On my right side, yeah. So 
lucky fortunate that I could stay in um, a bunch of tests and all that. And then that sounds like, you know what, I'm going to go down the Intel route. That's what I want to do. So I cross-rated to be an intelligence specialist. And so that was like about three years in. So my career Intel was like about 11 years total. What was it that caused you to, to decide at 14 years, it's time to, to get out? I was burnt out. Um, I had nothing else to give. Most of the time was on, was on sea duty deploying. So sea duty, it was either deploying and training, deploying and training, especially working with an NSW and all that, and the other special ops units, like there's no time off. And, and I didn't want my life just to be the military. And I was like, there has to be a hard point that I need to, I just didn't get out. And it kind of came down to like, what, what else is there for me to accomplish in the military that I haven't done that I came in to do. And overall I came in, I did everything I wanted to do. So at that point, I just knew it was like, hey, it's time to find something else and check out of this. And then mentally and physically, I was just burnt out. I had nothing else to give. Now, you mentioned before that in your plan was to get into the intelligence field, get your degree, and then come out. Did you end up going back, going to college while you were in the Navy? I did. So I went a little bit when I was still in, and then when I got out, uh, finished my degree. And when you were starting to come towards your end did you have a plan for what you were going to do afterwards I had no idea i i the only decision i knew that was set that i was like i want to get out that's the only thing i knew what how all that no idea um kind of the start the process for me getting out was actually come, come to the honor foundation that was a good buddy of mine dan who who went through it previously and he's like this would be great for you to to go do um so he endorsed me and a couple other people that were in the units I worked with endorsed me to come through here because like usually it's mostly operators like SEALs or Raiders or on the East Coast SF guys or Rangers. So to have enablers come through, it's like there's not many of us. We're going to get into this because you're now basically, I'll, I'll overgeneralize and say in the Hollywood industry. Yeah. But when you came to the Honor Foundation and started your transition out, did that give you any guidance or did you kind of open your eyes to a, a path that maybe you weren't thinking about before? It, and even when I came through, I wasn't even thinking about going down this path. So the Honor Foundation for me gave me a way to kind of step back and reevaluate who am I as a person. And I was fortunate enough, like early in my career, that at a couple master chiefs or like, you know, you need to figure out who you are early on as time, as your life goes on, your career goes on. And he's a, a, a major downfall for guys is the first thing they always say that like, who they are is their job. He's like, take your job out of it. Who are you? And then try to always answer that question. And I never really thought about it too much. And as life was going on, I'd always see people like, who are you? The job, the job. They're like, no, like, who are you as a person? So I always had that in the back of my mind, but coming through THF, that actually really helped reevaluate that and take that step back. Like, peel away everything, just who are you as a person? And, he, and I had to go back to like me being in like, like elementary school, then middle school, then high school. Like, what are the things that made me happy that I, that I enjoyed doing? And it was taking those steps back to kind of help reevaluate for me, like where I wanted to go. And it was never necessarily like a job wise, it's just the things that made me happy. Um, it was like, you know, I don't want to be in an office. I always wanted like a, a people facing job. I want it to be sort of physical, um, creative, you know, it was like things like that. And that's kind of how I identified the certain checks and marks that for a job was of what I wanted to do. When you were active, do you feel that you did a good job of balancing who you were 
or was being a sailor, being an intelligence, the only thing you identified as? For a while, that was like, I just want to deploy. I want to work. I want to do my part. So if you, if I was like, Hey, they're like, can you deploy? I'm like, yes. You know? So it was like, Hey, support this team. I'm there, you know? And that's what kept my op tempo up. But, uh, it just burnt me out. Um, and that was my focus for a while until I remember like someone asked, do you want to deploy? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I knew that at that moment that like, it's time for a change. Cause I was like, I don't want to deploy. Like, I don't, really care to deploy anymore. I'm like, why, why am I going to deploy? What's next for me in this? So in about how many years in was that? That was probably, that was probably after my last deployment with dev grew. So that was my last, my last pump. And I loved it there. Great unit, great guys, great people, women and men that were there. But it's just after that, I was like, I think I'm done. Um, and so when I left there, when I left, I was actually, working at a place called Kennedy Regular Warfare Center. So I augmented down to DevGrew. Um, and they were, you know, awesome to work with. And they wanted me to come back from permanently work there. And I was just like, at that point, I was like, I was my fifth appointment. I was just like, no, because the previous ones were like 10-monthers, you know. And like there's only four months, but the previous ones all stacked up 10, 12, 11-month appointments. So I was like, that's it. You were just done. It's done. Yeah. So what year did you transition from active to reserve that was 2018 so i left when i finished at kaiwick i was like well if i can get a short duty i'm gonna take it um or get out and luckily enough my detailer which is ironic worked with me to get me back to san diego on a short command uh part of me is like i should have got out at that point but i'm glad i, glad I didn't because i never would have went through this to help me out but that was 2011, 12, when I came back to San Diego for a couple of years on the short command and then got out, or no, that was 2015, sorry. And then got out in August, 2018. First out, what was the first thing you did? Did you go back to school? Did you get a job? What uh, were you kind of I, doing? I was still in school. Uh, I started going to school when I was still in like the last couple of years. And I, was just, and I didn't have a job or anything lined up. I was like, I'm just going to go to school right now. Um, and kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And it was kind of like the past, the last six to eight months that I found like doing video and photography that I was like, it, it can make a little itch of like, it piqued my interest, but nothing was really set in stone at that point. Where did that, well, not where did, did you have an interest in that long standing or did it just kind of happen by happenstance? So it's ironic. So I was helping a buddy start a marketing company and I bought the camera just to kind of help out like, Hey, we got to create some content for products and companies that need anything. But my main thing was kind of strategy of how to brand whatever company we worked with. And I bought the camera and I was like, I'll, I'll take pictures. So I just taught myself, like I watched a couple of YouTube videos, started just doing little things here and there. And people started saying, Hey, you're, you're, you have a good eye for this. Like you should look into this. And I was like, nah, like I don't, that's corny. Like I don't want to do video, like coming from what I used to do in the military, like, you know, at such a high level to like, oh, what do you do? Video. I'm like, it was, it was an ego thing. But as I kept doing it, I realized how much I just loved doing it. Like I would get there set up and I would just enjoyed it. Like I didn't, it goes like I was free. And looking back at it, I realized that I always would create things. Like when me and my brother play basketball, 
we would create these little like add one videos that we used to watch back in the day, like our, our own little video camera. So I was always doing it, but being in the military, I kind of shut it off. And then as time went on, I realized, look, I actually always was doing this, um, but I just stopped it when I joined the military. Taking a step back real quick, coming out when, when you actually did transition out, how did it impact you personally, emotionally? Was it an easy transition or a struggle? It was a struggle. Um, it was definitely difficult, but I felt I had a, a good head on my shoulders and, and um, mentors that were there to help guide me. Um, you know, I, I was a, it, was, it was a process and a lot of patience because I did, like I said, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So about maybe a, a year, year, maybe six, eight months out that after getting out that I decided like, I want to go down the video production route. And that was just hard because you're starting from some brand new from scratch. You know, it was that point I was like 31 years old and I'm like, is this the right decision? And then starting up, started making some traction, had a few companies on like on a retainer. I was doing content for and COVID hit and I lost everything. I was just like, oh man, like this is horrible. Like I thought it'd be like a six month stint, kept going longer and longer. So I'm not making any money at that point besides um, a couple of things here and there. And then it, me and my friends who I would shoot with, we were actually budgeting our own projects. Like we weren't getting paid for them. We just wanted to create something. So we would go out shoot in the desert to shoot around things to kind of keep those creative juices flowing, which I'm glad we did. Um, but it was that, that part was a huge struggle and just finding out like a new tribe, a new culture of people. And I kind of like shunned away the military when I got out. I kind of was like, I need to see life outside the military. So I stopped talking to a whole lot of people and just like, I needed to see life outside of that dynamic and that culture. And I was like, at some point in time, I will kind of step back into this culture. I know I'll always be there. That brotherhood will always be there. My friends will always be there. A couple of people I still kept close ties with, but I kind of just like shunned it all away and just went out. And I would never tell people I was in the military prior. I would just say, Hey, I'm Mike. Uh, I do video. I didn't want to come up. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm a veteran and I do video. I want people to know like what my current thing was. And at that point it was doing video and production. So I wanted to come out. I wanted to be later. They found out I served and what I did. Um, that's kind of how I approached it. Did you end up going to school for video and, and photography? I went for business. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as your learning curve for everything you're doing today, is it all self-taught or have you gone on and done separate classes for it? I did self-taught and actually a lot of it was working with people who were way better than me. Um, a couple of these guys, my, no one else with the art, but my buddy Brad, my buddy Dean, and my buddy Ben. Uh, I met Brad actually shooting one of the coaches here in Vegas. And I was just like, hey, I would lo love to work with you just to tag along, just to watch you guys work and just help out. And he's like, yeah, it's like if I find something, I'll let you know. And it turns out he lives here in Oceanside. And from there, and that was like 2000, I think that was like 2017. And he just started inviting me on certain things they were doing. And teaching me how lighting works, how camera works and all that. Cause he's filmed for like ESPN. He's done this amazing work, him and the other guy, Dean. And so I felt very like fortunate that he would just let me come along with him and then started paying me like, Hey, I got a gig. I'm going to, I will pay you on it. And that's kind of how it started. I, I learned a lot from them. And then a lot of this like self-taught this guy on my camera and going out shooting my own subjects or companies and all that. This learning child and error, like how you were at the podcast, like, Oh, like, 
I need lights or this, is, this doesn't sound good here. Let's try this next time I go shoot. So I was trial and error, a lot of YouTube videos. So was it always video or was it still photography also? It was, I started with video and ironically photos kept like peaking more for whatever reason. So I kind of shifted toward doing a lot more photography than video. And then I made it kind of a change. Okay. Like my passion is in video. I'll still do photos, but it's, it's the video centric that I want to be down the storytelling with the short movies and music videos is fun, but maybe it's a storytelling and cinematic type style. For somebody who's looking, who, who might have an interest in this and like you didn't necessarily have a background in it, looking back on hind, in hindsight, if you could do it all over again, would you go to school or would you specifically go get training or do it the way you did it? Just kind of learn as you go. I, I, I like it the way I did it. I've talked to a lot of people who've been to film school and the one thing they say is it's, you get a network out of it, but learning it, it's just doing it. Um, I'm glad I, I'm glad the way I did. I don't have any regrets. I'm glad I, I made a decision because I still took skills. I learned when I was still in the military, applied it. I just had to now learn a whole new skill set, um, and kind of combine that with what I'm did net before and what I'm doing now. And you've actually grown this into your own company, correct? Correct. Yeah. I do have my own media company that and it's still a work in progress. I think it takes like anything, it takes a while to become proficient or an expert at it. And I think it's one of the things I learned being in the military it took me 10 years, you know, however long to work at the highest levels of like our community intelligence, working at JSOC and all that. You kind of just sign up and go there right away unless you're, you know, an anomaly that happens. But usually you put your time in and you, you work up, you screen, they allow you to come over and you do your time there. So kind of same thing with this. I'm like, it's been about several years. I think COVID is kind of bumped, so I don't really count that. I don't really do too much then, but yeah, I have the company. It's going well. And then now I'm doing other things along, along the way. I believe I saw on your social media that you were actually doing the filming and production for a series or a, a movie. So, no, so along with doing film, I started doing stunts. Oh, okay. So, um, that, that seems like a natural progression. Let's go yeah. from being the camera guy to the yeah, stunt be, guy. Yeah. Being behind the camera to being in front of it. So that's been, that, that has been crazy. Never in a million years would I be like, oh yeah, I'm a stunt guy, you know, doing stunts for, you know, films and TV that kind of came about shooting for a buddy. We're just shooting a concept that he wrote for a script. And one of the guys that came out was a, a stunt coordinator and stunt man. And he's just, I met him a couple of times. We ended up training to go free diving just cause it was during COVID and I had nothing else really to do. And I was like, yeah, I'm down something new to learn. So I went, learn how to go free dive. And then he asked, you know, what depth have you gone to? Uh, we were just in a tank. So I don't like what 40, 40, 45 feet, nothing crazy. We were just, it was just all in tank work and all that. Uh, I still trying to go out in the ocean and do it, but, um, he asked, he asked me how seriously I'm about doing stunts. And I was like, well, like I'm down. I don't know what that, what I'm saying yes to, <laughs> but I think it's, seems pretty cool and who would who would say no to being a stuntman i guess you know so had me do a small little tv thing uh last year last march and that's when he asked me more about it and i was like i'm down for whatever and he's like i may have something up for you i can't guarantee anything and then that ends up leading to working on black panther 2 for four months in atlanta so that was eye-opening <laughs>
Now, being a stuntman, is that something that anybody can do without, do you have to, I mean, as, as weird as it sounds, do you have to go to stuntman school? There are schools, but the people I've met so far is they come from a wide array of backgrounds. They're like, you know, top of what they're doing, whether it's be martial arts, whether it's motocross. So the guy that brought me in, Chris Dennison, he's a motocross guy. You know, like this guy is, does incredible stunts on the motorcycle car guy as well. And that's how he came to the industry. And then he started learning the base. So for me coming in, it was my military background, having to train with guns, shooting, driving, the free diving was helped out a lot. And then now it's been learning, building a base as a stunt guy. So there's like a lot of fights, reactions, falls. That's the base. Cause no matter what you do, like most stunts you see is like a quick fight and then someone gets killed is what it's going to be. Um, now like that's where I'm at is learn, build that base to add on to now all the skills I already have that I've already learned prior. Was learning the free diving just a one-off event specific, or is that something that's reoccurring that you use as a stuntman? Um, that the free diving, <laughs> I have had to use it. Uh, I can't say too much right now just cause the movie's not out, but I've had to use it for certain movies and that was the primary focus for it. Um, is that going to be consistent? I don't know. We'll see Has like avatar is coming out. That's going to be a highly, it was, they shot that and that's, they shot that free diving. Um, that's how they figured out how to shoot in the water. Um, but we'll see what happens later on. So right now I've used that. And in the past, the movie I've been working on before, no free diving whatsoever. It's all been fights and hits and falls. Um, so beyond the military, do you have a martial arts or fighting background? Uh, just some, some hand to hand combat. I did a couple of things when I was in high school, like Kempo, but other than that, never, never really did anything until more so recently. So if somebody's listening and they're interested in potentially becoming a stuntman, what would, other than in like your yeah. case, and you're very fortunate in that you happen to meet the right person and yeah. got you into the video world. You happen to meet the right person that got you into the stunt world. But if somebody's interested in it, what would be a path for them to take? Um, so go back to what you said, like I, I definitely met the right people, but it's about also taking that opportunity. Right. Yes. And it, it presented itself and I put the best foot forward to humble myself. I'm like, Hey, how do I learn and be better at this crap? So like, I met that video guy. I asked him, like, hey, I would love to learn from you. You know, like, I need to learn from someone who has, has 10 years experience doing this because I have zero experience. And, like, be, just take a step back, shut up, and watch and learn. And that's how I was able to do that. And same thing with stunts. Ask these guys who've been 20-some years, like, hey, like, what, what have you done that's made you where you're at now to be the top, one of the top stunt guys in Hollywood? And they're like, learn the basics. Learn fights learn reactions, learns falls. Um, like, so if you're in LA, there's tons of, um, gyms up there that are doing a lot of like, it's, it's, it's a movement, like I said, fighting move, movement. Um, and I think the good thing I've seen with stunts is that you can, because you all have a camera, you can make your own fight sequence. You can start showing off your skill sets and people will see you. I'm like, you know what? Let's go work with this guy. Um, let's see what he brings to the table. Uh, Kind of things like that. So like an actor as a, a potential stunt man or a stunt person, do you need to create kind of your notebook of work to be able to show it off to people? Is that a, re a requirement? It's preferred. Uh, a lot of guys will create a reel. Um, me being new, I don't have a reel. 
So I've had to rely a lot of my background and people vouching for me. And that's kind of, that's how I've been able to uh, land roles on different projects. Um, but ideally you do want to have a reel. You want to show like, for instance, I can show car stunts. I can show fighting stunts. I can show falls. You have like a wire work to call it the ratchets and dead man's are getting yanked or pulled out of somewhere or being slammed into something. So you want to show a wide variety of like a background, like vers- versatile. Some people are very specific. Some guys are just, I'm just a fight guy. And they may do certain things here and there, but they're primary, I'm fighting. Some guys, I'm cars. That is what I do. I'm, I'm motorcycle. That's what I do. Horseback riding, you know, that's what some guys are. Some guys are just straight gun guys. A lot of military guys strict, stay strictly toward the military side. Very few go outside of that. Um, I've been fortunate that I made a priority. Like, I want to be outside this military stuff. I want to be able to do that, but I want to be able to do other things as well. Well, in the bigger picture, the more things you can do, obviously, the more work you're going to get. But if a guy wanted to stay focused or, or single uh, event focused, so in a movie, when you see a stack of soldiers, stack of officers, whatever, is that a stunt guy or just an extra? It depends on the role they're, they're filling. Um, the stunt is, there's you're, as a stunt performer, you're actually on the same contract as an actor, you're your performance. So you're under the screen actors guild. If you become part of the union background, usually it's like, let's say, let's say this is a, we're filming an actual movie, a background person would be back there just putting water, getting water. And that would be it. Now the stunt person would be like, Oh, they're going to get an altercation, get in a fight. And that's when the stunt person would, would take step. Or a lot of times too, if it's just a dead body in the background, then it's just, it's an extra. <laughs> it won't be a stunt guy usually. Now, you mentioned previously when you came out of the military, you, you made the conscious effort to let people know you as the video editor, you as, as yourself, yeah. but not you as the veteran. Yeah. But within this community, is that not something to, to pull on? Is, is there a, a decent amount of veterans operating in this field? There are. Yeah, so I've had to definitely sell myself. You, you, sometimes you may have a quick interaction with the stunt coordinator and you have to be able to sell who you are within 20, 30 seconds. So yes, I've had to use like, what's your background? I'm like, well, I did intelligence, I worked in special operations, deployed this many times. I have this experience with shooting, driving, um, video as well. And I've had to use that to sell my brand to whoever's in that industry. And then right now there's quite a few veterans that are, have been in the industry for a while now that's, help set the precedence for us to come in, I guess it's a newer generation, uh, especially like from the Navy side, uh, there's quite a few, Kenny Shear, um, Remy Adelke, uh, Ryan Sangster, these are like the name of a few guys. And like, I never, I've never met um, two of them, but I've just interacted with them over Instagram and all that. But you know, their name holds weight in the industry, which is really good. Um, they said, you know, they let make veterans look good. Um, because, you know, like people want to be hesitant to hire veterans. They don't know. So it's good. They see these guys coming from their background, being in the military, special operations, and now doing great things in industry. You know, guy Raymond Doza is another guy who's done doing amazing things as well. Do you find that they're open to or embracing bringing, being that catalyst to bring more veterans in? They are. I mean, they're very veteran centric. A lot of the, like, I think the newest one right now is Terminalist that just came out and that's a heavy veteran centric show. I mean, they brought in tons of former 
team guys, I think Marines, anyone who's a veteran to help show and help be a part of that, along with guys they already know within the industry who played military guys who have an understanding of how to portray a veteran. Because if it's a stunt, if it's a stunt, like you definitely want a stunt guy to do it, depending on how hard the stunt is. Um, by someone who might be brand new coming in and all that. So if somebody is right now a veteran and they want to venture down that path for you already kind of being behind the gate a little bit, what advice would you give them as far as where, where would be their first step off point to go to stunts or video, uh, to do the, to get into the stunt work, to get into the, yeah, I don't want to call it the, the, um, we'll loosely call it acting, but yeah. you know, kind of that, that background, maybe they're not looking to be the person talking on the screen. Yeah. They just want to be involved as a, as an extra or a stunt. Where would be a step off point? Yeah. And I would say right now, and I've seen a lot of this is a lot of stunt guys have done acting. Um, you can be asked cause you're telly performer. So let me say, Hey, all right. Um, here's a, here's a gig. We need someone to say two lines. All right. Line up, say the lines. And then, oh, now you're acting. <laughs> you got speaking <laughs> role. It's happened twice now on, on companies I've worked on. And so you never, you are, you're, in the end of the day, you're still a performer. So they need you to, you're acting. You're taking a fight scene. You're taking a hit. You're acting. You're showing pain. I'm not really hitting your face. Sometimes it may happen, but you're, you, you have to make it look like it does. You have to make it look like it's hard or it's intense or you're scared. So you are, you are going to be acting. And it's one of the weirdest things. Like, hey, they're like, show fear. And you're like come to the military, like, how do you show fear? We're not, you know, like, we're not, we're almost emotionless at the times. Like, how do we show it? So that's been like, that's been a, a huge learning experience for me. Um, but to get into it, you know, that's a difficult question because like, I'm, I came from an, it was so random for me. And, but I think a lot of guys, it's, they're making their own content. And I think that's the advantage you have is to make your own content to get people to, want to work with you, but also reach out to some of these guys you see working in the industry, in the industry. There's quite a few now. Um, I believe there's another veterans. There's a veterans, I think in entertainment called VME or something like that. That's in LA that is focused toward having venture veterans enter the industry, whether it's acting stunts, lighting, there's tons of other jobs producing to get you like kind of like understanding that world. Uh, I do know that, or also just go to school film school um, to get your build that network up as well. Now, when you mentioned before about to be, to be a stunt man, you need to learn fighting, driving, that type stuff. Is it, and, and please forgive me if I refer to it this way. So taking the fighting aspect, should somebody go to learn actually how to fight or should somebody go to learn how to make it look like they're fighting? Both. Uh, it's a big, you want to be able to make it look real. So let's say like, you know, the popular ones I've seen is like Muay Thai, boxing, Filipino martial arts, because you're using a lot of weapons a lot of times. So it's knives, sticks, and all that, because it can translate over to like, all right, hey, you have a gun. How do we use this? Um, so you want to learn to act the practical martial arts so you know how to actually make it look real and authentic and to move right. And then also the show side of it is how do I throw a punch and calculate it? Like, making that the impact against your face or your body. And that's a whole another art in itself. But once you understand like the actual martial arts of what you're doing is you just say, Hey, we got to make a quick fight beat. How do we do this? There's a knife involved. Okay. Well, I know knife fighting, so we can try these movements along with, with this punch or this kick and then to this fall. So you kind of combine it all together. 
Now, for you going forward, what's your long-term goals? Is it to grow your media company, or are you enjoying the, the stunt in front of the camera work? Uh, I, I'm still doing both. So I actually just finished a short film two weeks ago now. Um, so I'm trying to play both sides of it, do behind the camera and in front of the camera and kind of have everything at some point merged together. The goal will be directing, director photography, then producing. I think that's going to be the end goal. I'm not going to, I don't know I can, how many falls and hits I can take uh, <laughs> after being in the military and doing like actual falls and hits and all that stuff. Now doing this for however long I will. Um, I give myself 10 years, kind of see where I'm at. And then will I make the full switch to behind the camera work? We'll see, but it's kind of kind of my game plan for right now to still keep growing stunts and doing film my own projects. So then when I take that leap that I still have everything going forward. As far as you, you mentioned previously that you got nerve damage, which almost forced you out of the military. Is that impacting you today? And does it impact your stunt work? It does sometimes. Uh, not many people know about it. So, oh. so yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it comes up sometimes. I'd be very careful. Um, it's just so random. It's never, never healed up whenever it happens. Sometimes it flares up. Sometimes I'm good to go. It's just, it's, it's just random. So for your camera work, can you go down a specialty path? Like the guy who is the aerial photo guy or, or something like that, or, or is it everybody just kind of universal and they just all, there are so many jobs right there right now. So if you, want to get an industry let's say you go camera site you can be just a camera operator like we're shooting something or you could be the drone guy there's guys who do helicopters they do planes they do um like let's call a study cam they're like on this they have this like rig they use that they can walk around with there's so many different ways to, to shoot camera wise and then like if you're like production then you're a producer you're an executive producer are you a line producer are you are you a director? Are you one of the assistant directors? You know, are you lighting and grip? There's so there's so many jobs and so many roles that a person can play coming into this. What I was getting or what I wanted to kind of take with that is, so if somebody's interested in getting into the camera side of it, they want to, is there a specific aspect that you would recommend them to get really good at first? Or should they pick, they want to, I'm using, thinking in my head, like all of your skydiving yeah. scenes, you know, so there's, there's probably a guy who's a cameraman who's literally following the, the skydiver camera attached to the helmet or in front of the face and they follow that guy. Yeah. Is, is <laughs> like, would, would it be beneficial for somebody to get that specific to start or go more broad and then work your way to that? I would go broad and then find your niche. So learn, just learn by camera. I mean, uh, new iPhones work great. The new phones work great. Learn camera, learn angles, learn lighting. As a camera guy, if you can learn lighting and understand how that all works and how you can manipulate it to give you the scene that you want, you're, you're accomplishing so much. And then from there, once you learn the, the, the specifics, how you can manipulate a camera to do what it is you want, to tell the story you want, then find, hey, do I want to do car stuff? And then do I, can I set up car rigs um, to track like a motorcycle or a car chase or things like that or... You want to do helicopter, a helicopter or going drone wise. I mean, drones are so affordable now. Like you can buy a cheap drone for like 500 bucks, start flying it around. And right now the big thing is the FPV drones. Those are becoming really huge, um, which, you know, that's another route you can go down. Now is, is the drone, do you see it just continuing to grow as far as 
Hollywood and movie making, or is it still just a, a niche perspective? I think it's going to grow. Whatever aspect the director can use to tell their story, to give a different perspective that's not used by the common eye, I think they're always going to use it. How do I want to ask this one? Um, when you, how, well, I'm, I think the, the simple answer is going to be spend as much money as you can afford. But when you, <laughs> yeah. when it comes to, it, and I, that's why I'm trying to figure out how I want to ask this question of, so I want to get into this. I want to buy a camera. What's, what's the entry price point? And then how quickly, if I go on the cheap end, am I going to outgrow the capabilities of the camera? Um, all cameras do the same thing. Um, they have three ma major functions. It's learning how hard you can push your camera. So like I have a, I started off with a Canon 60, I think it was about a thousand dollars, but I bought it at a, it was a kit. It was a, a lens and the camera. And that's what I started off with. You know, there's, there's cheaper routes to go. Um, I kind of maybe wish I would have started off with a different camera, but I'm glad I, I went that route. It was fine. I learned a lot from it. But I think once you master the three primary functions of your camera, which is your, you know, your, your ISO, your f-stop, your exposure, and all that, then you can figure out what what camera you want to buy after that. Because at that point, you're getting to very might, very finite certain things that a camera can do. Like Sony's really good low light. If you like to shoot low light, then they'll say, "Hey, look, look at a Sony." Um, and let's say your budget's five grand, then got to go with Sony over a Canon at that case. If you want better color science, then people argue Canon has, you know, really good color science at this price point. Now when you go into like big high end cinema, you're looking at red camera, which is like $40,000 for at least the, the camera body itself. And then you're looking at lenses, which can go from five, 10, $20,000. So, I mean, it comes down to what your budget is and also, um, how deep you want to go down this, this hole. Cause I mean, I've seen camera stuff for a hundred thousand dollars, you know? So what's a, what's a, what's a viable entry starting? Like if you were starting today mm -hmm. and, and you wanted to, I know you said you, you started with, I believe you said a Canon, a Canon. you wish you hadn't, mm -hmm. but if you were starting today, what would be a, a, a legit starting point and somebody that could, could grow it and be successful? Uh, I think like I'm biased towards Sony. So I would say a Sony a seven three. I think it's a great hybrid camera for both photos and video. It's easy to use. Um, that's how that's how I would start off with a camera like that. I think it's now like maybe fifteen hundred dollars. A little expensive, but if you want to have a good look, an easy, affordable camera, I think that's a good route. Now, how important is it? And we were talking about this before we start recording the whole editing process. Oh. How much is in learning how to edit? Is it as important or more important than the photography? I think it's all important. Um, you, you, when you start doing it, you understand you shoot to edit. So pre-production is important. So if I'm going to shoot a, a commercial or a short film, I'm going to make my shot list, right? And all of these things like carry over from when I was in the military. Like I'm going to create a plan. Okay, here's a start. Here's a middle. Here's the end. How do I get to my end point of this story I'm going to tell? I'm going to, I'm going to have that. Then and say, okay, what's the lighting? How are we going to light this up? Do you want it flat? Do you want color? Do you want a more contrasty? You create, you, you, you outline that side of it. And then once that's all done, I get done to shooting. Now I'm like, okay, here's our shot list. Cause I already have, I have it pre-written. Now I'm going to my shot list shooting what I need to do. 
obviously like when it comes down to like, like any op you've ever done and there it goes according to plan, but I have a start point. I know where I'm going. And then from there, that's when you can be creative as I'm shooting this. I'm like, okay, I, can, I like this look better. I don't like this lighting look. It doesn't look good here or this room. We can't fit it. The lights that we want to do. Um, but then we go down that list or a shot list. And then it comes down to editing. I think that if you have those first two steps in order, it makes your editing process a lot easier because mm-hmm. editing still is going to take a lot of time, which we don't really understand. But I think that makes it, it simplifies it because you, now you know what you're editing toward. A lot of times I get people, hey, can we go shoot this? And I'm like, what are we shooting? And like, why are we shooting this? It gets me one to understand what, what you want, but also gets you to start thinking about like, what's the creative side of this? Like, let's make this unique. Let's make this different. Like, and why am I doing this? As far as the, the editing process, again, um, software that you recommend one over the other that you found you like better? Uh, I've used Adobe Premiere a lot. Uh, and then recently I actually started using Final Cut. Um, I think for Final Cut, it's a lot, if you have a Mac, it's a lot easier to use and simpler. Um, just to, if I need to shoot something one day, I can edit it that day. I'm, I'm on Final Cut. Uh, I think it's just user preference, to be honest. I have the guys I shoot with, one guy will legit argue Premiere and one guy will, I don't, I'll argue Final Cut. To the end of this day, they were like, I would use this over the other. And you mentioned previously go to YouTube as a, as a good learning tool because you can find videos on oh, just about anything. Know. But any books or anything that you would recommend somebody reading? Um, I, I started looking at... Book-wise, honestly, I haven't read any books on it. I watched a masterclass. I watched masterclasses on, was it, Scorsese and how he directs. I think James Cameron has one. I think masterclasses have been really um, insightful to kind of see how these directors work. And then obviously now if you're working on set, you, now you're seeing it in person, how they work and how they create. And also to just go do it. Uh, I think the, the best way I tell people is just go do it. I've taken a lot of horrible photos. I've done a lot of horrible videos and I learned, okay, next time I go, I'm going to do this differently. Um, you know, you every, like every time we do an operation, we have like our, you know, our post-op like debrief on it. Same thing that what I'm doing shooting. I'm like, okay, here's how today went. What could I do better? What I did good. And then use that and apply it next time. But I think that's kind of the good thing with getting a camera is that you can just pick up a camera and just start shooting and you start throwing your software and like, this looks horrible. Like my lighting was just totally off of what it was going on. Oh, like I didn't hit record, <laughs> you know, so you're, you're, you're saying all the yeah. things that, that I yeah. have to I deal with. That. Yeah. Or like, but, I didn't bring a memory card. I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. All those, all those fears that you wake up in yeah. the middle of the night, you're like, Oh, um, and, and one of the things I was going to ask you or wanted to ask you is now that you've had the chance to work behind the scenes in a professional setting, movie setting, uh, how much did that open your eyes to what you weren't doing or what you should be doing or, you know, kind of deal? Or did you finally like, wow, Hey, I was already there instinctually to do the same things. Yeah. So with getting into stunts, ironically, what I've seen now, this could be totally off. A lot of guys get into stunts and then go to behind the camera. I was behind the camera and then got onto stunts. So kind of the advantage I had, it was understanding camera. Like what does a camera see? Because a camera sees something very totally differently than our, what our natural eye sees. So that helped me out tremendously. Um, 
I'm sorry. What was your question? What, what? I was just wondering if once you, you know, you, you were self-taught. Yeah. So you, you started doing everything on your own. Obviously, some of it's trial and error, yeah. but over time, certain things start working for you. Did you find that when you got behind the scenes of an actual big production that you were completely off or your instincts were already kind of going down the yeah. right path? Yeah. So it helped me show like what I wasn't doing, how I can be better. And it showed like a lot of these big productions the concepts we're using even on the smallest shoot of having how we set up the light is the same thing they're going to use on a bigger set. Now you just have more, now you have a bigger budget. Now you have $200 million to create a whole new world. But the basics of, of shooting, if you understand, it could do a, a simple light setup. It'll help you understand when you get on a bigger set. Like, okay, you have these two lights, not add in three or four more. So you, it gives you that base. And from my background, it, when I got on set, I understood what was going on. I wasn't like a lost puppy. Like I understood what the lighting guy was doing. I understood what the camera guy was doing. So I knew how to already talk to these guys or uh, women who were already on set. Um, so it, it gave me a better way to collaborate with them as we're shooting it. So if I needed to hit my mark, I was like, hey, what focal length are you already at? I'm at a 35. Okay, cool. So I know like the compression is going to be here. And then I'm like, here's my start point where I'm going to hit and be able to talk to them. That helped out tremendously. So as long as you get the basics down, you can scale it bigger or scale it smaller because the con the, the base, the, you know, it's kind of, I imagine baking a cake, whether you're baking a small cake or a big cake, it's about the ingredients at the same ratio. Yep. It's got to be the same way then filming. It's, it's, it's exactly is. Is it going to be a one camera setup or we're going to do a three camera setup? But if you know, you, you, you do this, you understand that when you start seeing it at a larger scale for sure. Yeah, and it's just how much, like, at that level, how much money are they going to throw toward the project? Because now I can, like, create something even bigger, you know? So I tell a lot of people, like, they ask me, oh, let's shoot this. I'm like, well, what's your budget? Is it $500 or is it 5000 Because for 5000 I can now rent, like, steroid tubes and professional lighting. Or if it's 500 well, like, you're just going to get me and my camera. And we got to just create something off of the environment we're shooting in taking the next step is social media. I've seen your social media and some of the pictures on there and videos you have on there are amazing. How important is, in your opinion, curating a strong social media presence for your skill set in getting you noticed? Um, so if you look at my Instagram, uh, I haven't been the best on it recently. I haven't been posting as much and that's because of the me doing the stunt stuff. It's taken over a lot of that but my media page is kind of like my portfolio so i actually had a website i took it down recently i'm i'm making some changes um on how i want to brand myself and all that and kind of waiting toward things start coming out what i've been working on but i think your your brand is very important it comes to video and showing what you're able to do because a lot of times people say hey let me see your work and i was like Here's my, I don't have a website, but here's my social media. And that's gotten me plenty of clients that way. And I think being able to cr create your brand and show what you're able to do is, is, is huge. And, it, and same thing with stunt guys. They'll, they're, their Instagram a lot of times, the, the newer generation is their Instagram. They're showing, hey, I done this stunt. I can do this fight. Or they create their own thing and they, and they show it. Um, I think it's very, very important. I need to be better at it, to be honest. I'm not the best at it. Um, but it has definitely benefited me having a good curated page for 
my photo and, and video work for sure. So starting to wrap it up, any last pieces of advice you would give to somebody who's looking to transition? And then if their transition goal is getting into whether it be stunt work or, or camera work, any last little pieces of advice? Just go do it. Um, that it's going to be nerve wracking because it's, it's totally new. You have no idea what you're doing, but just start doing it. Start showing what you can do because the entry level, like I know people who will shoot on a phone and to create something better than someone may shoot it on a red camera. And there's videos out there showing guys shooting on a phone and a red camera. Yeah. You can tell the difference color wise, but you can still tell a story. Right. And all you need is a simple camera. So I'd say just start, pick up a camera, any type and just start doing it. If somebody has more specific questions, can they reach out to you? Definitely. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, my Instagram is probably the best way. Um, I have two page. I have two pages. I have my own personal, like just me doing whatever I'm doing at the time, which is Mike's underscore vibes. And then my media page is Scopos. It's S C O P O S media. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on any of those pages and I'll love to help out or share more knowledge of what I learned so far in my process. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.